So there in Genesis 43, we read the word of God as follows. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten, that's the brothers and uh, Father Jacob and their families. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds, Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother. And arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the man took this present. And they took double the money with them. And Benjamin, they rose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, O my Lord, we came down to the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard, that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, 
and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your father, our servant, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did, as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose cup, his hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. 
My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy, to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please, let your servant remain, instead of the boy, as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So for our scripture reading, let's but there is a little bit that we'll focus on, and that's words from Judah in Genesis 44. First of all, verse 16, first part of 16, where Judah <coughs> says to Joseph, And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. And then from verse 34, where Judah says, For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Let's sing response after the sermon from hymn 49, 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a saying, maybe you've heard of it, the cover-up is worse than the crime. It's one thing to do something bad, but then to pretend it never happened, in one way that's perhaps even worse. Yet that is where we all are. That's what Adam and Eve attempted to do, even after that, after that first sin in Genesis. Cover-ups. That's not just the name of uh, a flooring store company. It's a theme in this sinful fallen world. A sinner's 
We not only sin, we also become very good at hiding it. Learning to live with things that we should never learn to live with. Psalm 36 verse 2 describes someone who flatters himself so much that he cannot detect his sin anymore. Literally it says it cannot be found out by him. You can keep telling yourself what a great person you are. And you can drown out the voice of your conscience. Yet Moses has this warning in Numbers 32. There in Numbers 32, Moses is talking actually to the tribes of Gad and Reuben. who They're content to be on the one side of the Jordan. And Moses is telling them, no, you need to cross the Jordan and fight with your brothers there. Not just stay on the east side of it. And they agree they will go over. Then Moses, though, warns them, if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. But here's the thing. It can be to our judgment or it can be to our good is finding out of our sin. The brothers of Joseph, and you could say they were great at cover-ups. They were masters of it year upon year. But then, by the grace of God, led by Judah here in chapter 44, what did they finally confess? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Now, this is Judah who years ago said about Joseph, let's sell him. Let's make some money. This is the Judah too of Genesis 38, who there sleeps with his own daughter-in-law. Now, he, though, makes this amazing confession, and he, too, is the one who volunteers to take the place of Benjamin. Here we see This miracle, it certainly is that. This miracle of true repentance. Here we see the only way to find peace in life with others and with our God. Let us learn to confess as well, and I've chosen that as the theme for this sermon. God has found out our sin. And we'll look at two things. First of all, that there's no secrets. And secondly, we'll look at what real repentance looks like. So we'll look at sort of a finding and then the turning. So at the beginning of chapter 43, by the grace of God, the famine is still quite severe in the land. I say by the grace of God, the famine is severe. I mean, a famine, of course, that's, that's difficult and tough, but this does mean that the brothers are going to be forced to deal with things. They're going to be forced to go back to Egypt. You would not think that was a problem. Because after all, Simeon has been left there. But somehow, this family gets okay with that. They adjust to this terrible new normal. I mean, over the years, they've learned to live with the guilt of uh, 
abandoning, selling their brother Joseph, perhaps causing his death. Perhaps compared to that, it must have been an easy thing to ignore Simeon and his family. We're all good at this sort of thing, though, learning to live with the messes that we create. And we also learn a bit more about Jacob in chapter 43. It becomes very clear, too, that he is too attached to the sons of Rachel. And he's not urging the brothers to go back either to Egypt. So we see here in chapter 44, the Lord gently prying open Jacob's hand as well. Father Jacob, too, has to learn to make a choice between his own desires and the good of his whole family. So the family of Jacob is not just large, it is also largely dysfunctional, but God. But God is going to work in this family. He separates them, but also in order to bring them back together again in a way that they had never been together before. And so Father Jacob reluctantly agrees, yes, my sons go to Egypt. Take some presents with you, and yes, take your youngest brother. May God Almighty, El Shaddai, be with you, he says. God Almighty. Jacob is sort of forced to confess this here, because very clearly this is out of his hands. That's also just what the brothers need to hear as well. That there is a God Almighty who is in charge of all things, and they, we, can live within that life. So the brothers, by the grace of God, head down to Egypt. And once again, they come before Joseph. And there, Joseph continues his test. His test about true repentance. His test that would also teach them this and draw this out of their hearts. Now this time, Joseph, first of all, gives them a big meal. Did you notice that the brothers again think that Joseph is out to get them? Again, it must be their guilt that is talking. They think it's because... He regards them as thieves. But the man in charge tells him, no, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks. I'm sure Joseph told him to say this sort of thing. It's a bit unusual for an Egyptian who you know, would have spoken of Ray or Ra, the, the sun god, that sort of thing, to say something like this. But notice again how God is brought back into the picture. And that is the problem with these brothers. God is really never in the picture in their minds. Then look at how Joseph structures this meal. First of all, he seats all the brothers in order of their ages. Do you realize that this is really... Well, almost impossible to do. Because those 11 brothers are born in the space of 
How many years? Seven years. Jacob, after all, Father Jacob had four wives. All of these brothers are in their 40s. Benjamin is probably in his late 30s, let's say. And now imagine 11 of these brothers, born within the space of seven years, being seated in order of their ages. I mean, that's nearly impossible. I think you'd agree. Sometimes it's almost impossible to tell a 44-year-old apart from a 46-year-old. And these brothers, most likely sometimes they were probably, you know, maybe months apart. Who knows, maybe even weeks or days apart. Through this, Joseph makes the brothers feel uneasy, to say the least. He makes it very clear there are things known about them that really no one else knows. Would that also work in their hearts? Would they come to see that that's also true about their sin? Their sin with Joseph? Out there too. There are no secrets. Despite all their elaborate cover-up. Will you and I come to see that? I know as sinners, we live as if no one really knows what we've done, what we've said, or the things that we've thought. There is a God who knows every thought in our heads. Hebrews 4.13 reads, And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the place where we also need to be. We also need to learn to be uneasy, to feel sort of exposed, vulnerable, even naked, naked in our souls before our God. That's what Adam and Eve tried to avoid in the beginning. With their fig leaves. It was not just about feeling naked in the body. Sin and all it causes. The shame and the guilt that go with sin always wants to be hidden, covered up. Sometimes in a strange way today, it's as if sin, there is an attempt to make sin secret by shouting it out as loud as possible. As if then it's, it's, it's normal and natural. We need to learn, like these brothers here, there are no secrets. We need to learn to be uneasy about the way that we are known. That is the soil in which true repentance grows. Then secondly, Joseph wants to test his brothers where whether pride and envy and selfishness, although that still is alive in their hearts. At this meal, he gives Benjamin five times as much food. I'm told that in ancient cultures, uh, giving someone twice the amount of food was a way to honor them. But to give somebody five times the amount of food, that's unheard of. 
Joseph places the brothers at the crossroads. Are they going to get uh, proud? Are they going to get resentful again? Get another brother being the spoiled one? Should we just get rid of him as well? That's the true test of repentance, after all. True repentance is not just confessing sin, but true repentance is being willing to say, when I'm at the crossroads again, and I can go this way or that way, I know I went that way. I am going to go this way. True repentance is not just saying sorry. It is hating what you've done and resolving to not do it again. And Joseph makes it even more challenging. He gets them to drink a little bit. So their memory of the night is a bit fuzzy. The end of verse 34 there, in chapter 43, you could really translate it, and they got drunk. That would be the normal way of translating the Hebrew, actually. Then he has this special cup placed in Benjamin's sack. It's called the cup of divination. I'm told that there was this ancient idea that you could take a a cup, fill it with water, a bit of oil, or something like that, and you could watch how things swirled, maybe the, the colors and that sort of thing, and you could predict things and learn things, supposedly. Clearly, Joseph with his knowledge of the brothers' ages, is a man of special knowledge. Maybe he uses a cup like this. At any rate, it looks like Benjamin. With this cup, he is just another Joseph. Spoiled, and someone who wants sort of special knowledge. He wants to be better than the other brothers. What will the brothers do? when all this is discovered? Will it just be a repeat of what they did with Joseph? That's our second point. The brothers are pursued by Joseph's steward. What is this you have done? Stolen my master's cup of divination. The brothers say, Far be it from us, whichever your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. Yes, their memory of the previous night may be a bit vague. But notice the brothers are singing quite a different tune now. They join together, all of them. They're all willing to take the blame. We also will be my Lord's servants. Even if just one of them is the thief. So the search is on. Sack after sack is opened up. Nothing, 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 nothing. Again, all in order to, from oldest downwards. Then, with the last sack, Benjamin's, it's opened up. There is this special cup. And what do the brothers do? Do they point their finger? in some sort of proud way, with some sort of shocked tone. Do they say, we know Benjamin, he always, he's no different than Joseph. No, they tear their clothes. Every one of them does. 
they have the perfect opportunity to get rid of Benjamin, to throw him under the bus. In the beginning, Adam said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. But Adam was very guilty just as much. He ate as well. This is different though. Benjamin has been caught stealing. It was not any of us at all. Benjamin has always been spoiled. He always thought he could get away with things. Take him away. We're better without him. But the brothers realized that would not take anything away. Look at Judah's words when Joseph shows up. What shall we say? What shall we speak? In these words, Judah shows he really has no words. That's where we all need to be, really. In our repentance, as sinners before God. True repentance, yes, it it has words in that we confess our sin. But there is also a kind of speechlessness, too, about true repentance. There is nothing we can say. There is no way that we can explain or excuse what we've done. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Isn't that an amazing confession? I mentioned this this morning, that the brothers need to learn to think in terms of the vertical, not just the horizontal. And here, it's, it's sinking in. God has found out the guilt of your servants. And Judah is talking about much more than just the incident with the cup. We just looked at this morning at chapter 42. And there you can see the brothers after being put in prison and released. They are consumed with how they mistreated Joseph years before. We remember how he pleaded for mercy. Did I tell you to sin against the boy? Says Reuben. God has found out the guilt of your servants. That's a very comprehensive statement from Judah. We realize now we cannot run, we cannot hide from what we've done. We will face everything that we have done because God has found it out. But Joseph the surgeon here goes even deeper. This chapter doesn't end there. He continues to press them. Oh, nonsense, he says. You don't all have to stay here. Just the one who stole the cup. He puts it plainly before them. Earlier, they went home and left Simeon in Egypt for two years. Couldn't they do that again? Judah could have very easily justified it to Father Jacob. It was beyond my control, Dad. He was caught as a thief. But Judah cannot accept that. He boldly and humbly goes to Joseph. Please, my Lord, let me speak a word. And then we've got a long section in chapter 44 where Judah at length repeats his father's words. He stresses to Joseph the grief and the sorrow that Jacob already has and that it's only going to be added to if Benjamin does not return. Judah is even thinking beyond Benjamin. In his last words in this chapter, I fear to see the evil 
that would find my father. Here we see the, the, the beauty of real repentance. Because real repentance is more than just confessing your sins. It is that, but we need to flesh that out a little bit. Sin is always very selfish. Sin is the word with I in the middle. Sin never really sees or acknowledges consequences, how your selfishness affects others. It doesn't really care about that. When you sin, you are obsessed with yourself and your own desires, your own felt needs. But true repentance is an ability to look beyond that. True repentance connects with others. It weeps with those who weep. It's no longer aloof, distant, callous. True repentance sees the consequences of sin, how it affects others. And it begins to own them. True repentance will repeat at length the the words of others who have been or who would be hurt by sin. And is this not all the case with Judah's great son, the Lord Jesus Christ? He does not have to repent. But the heart of true repentance is also found in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He enters this world, if we look at it from a human side, because the Father's heart was already broken. Yes, Father Jacob is too attached to his son, Benjamin, But in a good way, Father Jacob does show the love of the Father. Judah knew the heart of his father, the love of his father. And Judah's great son would know that in an even greater way. Knowing the heart of the father That is what made him come to this earth to redeem and to restore. He saw this creation could not simply be obliterated, erased, and a fresh start be made. No, these lost children had to be brought back like Benjamin to Father Jacob. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me, says Judah. Do you see, you and I have a Savior who said that in an even greater way. How can I not go back to my father unless you and you and you and you are with me? He would not rest until we were presented before the father. And so you can read in Hebrews 2, verse 13, Words that our Lord Jesus Christ, no doubt they were on his lips, in his heart, when he ascended into heaven, 
Here I am and the children God has given me. And he would do whatever was needed, just like Judah here. Look at Judah. He offers himself as a substitute. He acknowledges, yes, there there needs to be punishment, but let it be me so that Benjamin can go free, so that my father's heart will not break. What a different Judah than what we saw earlier in Genesis. And we also have one who said this for us in a greater way. Judah's great son would also do more than just plead for mercy. He would also say, let it be me. Let it be me instead of them. These children do not even understand what sort of punishment that they deserve. They're unwilling to admit it, even comprehend it. But let it be me. Let it be me who suffers in a foreign land. Let it be me who suffers in hell. So that these children, under condemnation, may return to the Father who wants them back. Truly, the Lord Jesus, the great Son of Judah. Two more points in conclusion. So Judah confesses here, God has found out the sin of your servants. That's the great confession that we too need to make. Have you made that confession? God has found out my sin. The sin that I try to hide. How do you make that confession? Are we not also helped by the Lord Jesus Christ? And by his cross. Because of the cross, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we also see our sin. It's not just the sin of the Jews. There we see also our callousness to God. Our willful ignorance of him. Our desire as well to live apart from the Holy One. And to get rid of every reminder of the holy and gracious God, crucify Him, crucify Him. Now my sin has been found out in that as well. Because I would say the same. Second, we also have here a picture of how true repentance grows. What it leads to. See, the brothers of Joseph, right, need to do more than just admit what they did was wrong. That's a good start, but that still is just a start. They also need to learn to seek a different path. What about you? Look at Judah here. Look at your Savior. If you are truly repentant, the road that you are now traveling 
must be the road of sacrifice, of love. Real repentance is more than just say, I shouldn't have done that. Real repentance instead wants to say, let me carry your burden. Let me even suffer in your place. Real repentance is far beyond that superficial counterfeit that's often talked about today. I'm thinking of you know, sayings like uh, live and let live, learn to be tolerant, those sorts of things. No, that, that's just evil in a sort of passive-aggressive form. Look at the Apostle Paul. He goes from hating the church, not just tolerating the church, but to be willing to die for her. In the book of Romans, when he's talking about election, and that some are not elect, he declares with love, he's even willing to take their place if that were possible. And he says he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. We read in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he, the Lord Jesus, laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. May God grant us real repentance that leads to that kind of love, His love. And may also that love be found out one day to the joy and glory of our triune God. Amen.